welcome to Mostly Books Meets. I'm Sarah. I'm Imogen. And I'm Lindsay. And together we are the team at Mostly Books, an award-winning independent bookshop. In this podcast series, we'll be speaking to authors, journalists, poets, and a range of professionals from the world of publishing. We'll be asking about the books that are special to them, from childhood favourites to the book that changed their life. And we hope you'll join us for the journey. Hi, it's Imogen, and today I'm talking to children's author L.D. Lipinski, whose debut book, The Strange World's Travel Agency, was published in April last year. Hi, L.D., welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. That's all right. So if we could go back to the very beginning, have you always loved reading? I have, yes. I used to get in trouble for reading, actually. I remember I was in year five or six, and my parents at parents' evening were told by a very grim-faced teacher of mine that they really had to do something about my reading (laughs) because I was doing too much of it and too much of it when I should be doing other things. And I'd been caught on multiple occasions reading with a book open on my knee under the desk instead of doing work. And it was apparently turning into a real problem. (laughs) Luckily, my parents thought it was hilarious and didn't tell me off or anything like that. But uh, I'll always remember that, how I was reading excessively. I think like if you start from an early age, you do have the ability to multitask, especially at school when you're not meant to. (laughs) Um, do you remember the first book you read I remember one of the first ones I ever read and it's a school story again I'm afraid I was in year two and we just had this beautiful new reading corner made you know bean bags and cushions and loads of brand new books the lot they must have spent so much money on it and I adored being in that reading corner and I remember they had um, a toy of Mog the cat That sounds lovely. Yeah, and I was obsessed with it. But on one occasion, I was reading the book Pookie about the rabbit with wings. And I absolutely loved that story. And I was never allowed to take it home because it was one of the books that had to stay in school. And I was so engrossed in this story that I didn't hear the fire alarm going off. Oh, no. And everybody went outside onto the field to be counted. And of course, there was no me. And they thought that I was lost combed the entire school the grounds for me school-wide panic but I'd just not heard a fire alarm I'd just been sitting in this reading corner reading this book so I will always remember that one I mean if a book is good enough to make you forget your surroundings that shows the sign of a really good book but possibly not if there's a fire alarm going off (laughs) well exactly I mean I'm tempted to blame the adults for that one because it wasn't as though like I could have been swallowed by a beanbag or anything but uh, (laughs) But yeah, and I remember the teacher saying to my mum, like, we thought we'd lost her and she was just in the reading corner covered in books. (laughs) That's brilliant. So you grew up in a village near Sherwood Forest. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's where I still live now, actually. I've only moved about half a mile away from my parents' house, which is convenient for childcare outside (laughs) of COVID madness. But yeah, I'm quite dull in that respect. I've not gone very far. Oh, but it's a beautiful part of the country. But because obviously Sherwood Forest is like famous for 
Robin Hood and stories itself, did that ever shape the fact that you loved stories and then you loved storytelling? I think it probably did, actually, because it's so woodlandy and farmlandy. I mean, my cat lives in one of the abandoned barns that's just like down the road because it's all old medieval doomsday book farmland around here. We were always in the woods, we were always in the fields, and it was a bit like an Enid Blyton childhood in a lot of ways. Like we were always going off on bikes and having picnics and, you know, getting chased by farmers out of fields and things and things like that. So yeah, I had a bit of a storybook childhood. So when I'd read about things like the famous five and stuff, I it was relatable. You know, I was living a nineteen forties, fifties childhood in the nineties which I think says more about the village than it does about me. (laughs) It kind of is the ideal childhood, though. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, there were plenty of scraped knees and nettles and stomping through the woods. And, you know, we're always told, like, there's foxes and badgers and fairies and stuff in the woods and climbing into trees. And, yeah, it was just a childhood where the locale really lent itself well to adventures. I'm quite jealous. (laughs) So... I know that you also play things like video games, so you've always loved the storytelling aspect of a lot of things. Has that shaped what you read and what you look for in your own writing? It's definitely shaped my own writing, for sure. I'm always a big fan of RPGs and open-ended games, where a lot of thought has gone into the backstory and the design of the world as well. I don't really like dystopian shoot-em-ups or anything like that, I want to play something where I don't have to think about this world at all. Even if it's like futuristic, I want it to be removed enough for me not to go, oh God, what if that happens? And start worrying about it. There's always been a massive place in my heart for the Final Fantasy series of games just because of the world building and the world design in each one. And I know they're, well, apart from a couple, obviously, that they're mostly nothing to do with each other and they're all really, really different. But I think that's where a lot of the magic is because they are the same type of story told in different places and in slightly different ways each time. And I think you find that in books, really, because like with The Stranger Worlds Travel Agency, it's children going to magical worlds through suitcases. But that's not a thousand miles away from Pages and Co, where children go into other storybooks or His Dark Materials, where they use the subtle knife. They are the same story told in slightly different ways. Yeah. I have to admit, I love the idea of like the Strange Worlds Travel Agency being a video game. (laughs) That would be the dream. (laughs) Just like starting off and being able to jump into different worlds through it and exploring this massive open-ended world. Oh, I've started something now. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Like a broken sword style one where you keep coming back to your base and going to different places. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, let's see. If you're listening and you're, you know, you work for Sony or Quantic Dream or something, you know, call me. I'm available. (laughs) So if we move on slightly, what's the latest book you've read? I have just finished reading Me, My Dad and the End of the Rainbow by Benjamin Dean, which is about a young boy who accidentally finds out that the reason his parents are getting divorced is because his dad has recently come out as gay. And it's just such a beautiful story of family and acceptance. And he and his friends go to London Pride just to try and understand this new culture. And it's so beautifully written and beautifully told and completely accessible. 
the main character is a little boy of colour as well. It's just what bookshelves have been crying out for. It's so lovely. Especially, I think, middle grade fiction. It's what we need at the moment, that book. Definitely, definitely. And it's it's an interesting one because although the LGBTQ storyline is obviously very central, it's also not necessarily the most important thing in the book. It's about the friends coming together and accepting people and realising that their world is a lot bigger than this little town where something is quite actually unremarkable as the dad realising that he's happier being with other men is actually kind of not that interesting at all. And it's just like having your world expanded at that age when you're 12 and realising that there's more to see. Yeah. I have to admit, it is one I've actually got on my bookshelves to read, but I haven't had the chance to read it yet. But I'm really excited to start it. Oh, good. Um, Yeah, let me know how you get on with it, because it is so great. (laughs) I will. I'd, I'd been trying to read it before I actually came to chat with you. But I also got a early copy of your book, so I yeah. frantically read that one instead. <laughs> well, I'm not going to be too cross about that one then. So we also like to know, obviously, the books we read shape us a lot. And have you got a book in your life that has really changed your life, that has had an impact on you? This one took um, a bit of thinking about, actually. I've gone for Good Omens by uh, Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett. Because when I first picked it up, I picked it up after months and months of people telling me, you really need to read this book. And nothing puts me off more than people saying repeatedly, you need to read this book. Because I worry that if I read it and don't like it, then they'll be really offended. So I kept going, oh, yeah, okay, I'll I'll read it at some point and then not actually doing it. But I'd had a couple of writing disappointments. I'd had a book go on submission and it wasn't bought by any publishers. And then the same thing happened again. So it was two of those in a row. Oh, no. And I was really low. I was really miserable. And I wanted to read something that was funny and British and quaint and just silly. And everyone just came back and said, read Good Omens. So I thought, okay, I will read it and I'll show you. So I sat and read it and it pulled me out of this slump that I'd been in because it was completely daft. <laughs> Yeah. It is almost plotless. And I was trying to explain this to someone a few weeks ago that the entire story takes place over three days. Almost nothing happens. The character who ends up saving the world basically does nothing except fall out with his friends, have a tantrum and then save the world. There is no plot in this book whatsoever. But what it is, is a wonderful commentary on people's fears. It's a wonderful commentary on um, 80s and 90s Cold War fears. It is a look at what it's like to perhaps realise how much we like something and we hadn't realised how much we enjoyed it until it was at risk of being taken away, along with a lot of weird jokes. (laughs) But um, yeah, I've put that one as the book that changed my life because it now is my favourite book of all time. I really love the TV series that came out in 2019. I cosplay as Crowley. Uh, comic-con and just before the first strange worlds book came out i sent a message to neil gaiman on tumblr saying basically thanks for reigniting the urge to write things after being quite miserable about not selling things and he replied and said that he was absolutely delighted and that was just like the cherry on the top really so it's always going to be a really special book to me yeah it's actually one of my favorite books as well but i did exactly the same as you 
where everyone always told me to read it and I never had because I had the fear of going but what if I hate it yeah I do that with so many things I just I worried if I wouldn't like Discworld for a long time and it was reading Good Omens that then got me to read all the Discworld books have you read all of them Yes. Oh, wow. I'm quite impressed. I'm about halfway through the series, I think. Oh, but what order are you reading them in? Not necessarily any order. (laughs) Yeah, okay. See, I read mine in arc order. So I read all the death books and then all the witches books and then all the watch books. And then like the industrial revolution books, which I know isn't how you're meant to do it religiously, but that worked perfectly for me. (laughs) I think the first one I picked up was Mort. Oh, I love Mort so much. Apart from Witches Abroad, I think it is my favourite one. Yeah. But yeah, both Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman have such wonderful ways of writing. And I think it really shows in good omens. Like, I think when I read it, I remember going, oh, this is what you can do with words. Yes, precisely. It's beautifully bizarre is how I think I'd describe it. Because they are putting the weird slant on the ordinary that has always been there. Ordinary things have always been weird. It's just them pointing a finger at it and going, are you ever going to question this? Yeah, it's such an incredible book that I think it's one of those ones that a lot of people kind of would say it had an impact on them. It's definitely had an impact on my bank account. So if we go on to a book everyone should read, which of course is definitely The Strange World's Travel Agency. Yay! (laughs) Now, obviously... I love both books already, but for the people I haven't managed to persuade to read it yet, can you tell us a bit about book one? Yeah, so The Strange World's Travel Agency is about a girl called Flick who has just moved from the city which she loves into a tiny little village which she hates. And on one of her wanderings through the village, she comes across a dingy looking old travel agency. But when she goes inside, there's no posters of Disneyland or anything like that. What there are instead are hundreds of old stacked up suitcases. And it is revealed that these are no ordinary suitcases. They are magical suitcases because each one you step into can transport you to another world. And she becomes involved in the Strange World Society She meets Jonathan, who is an 18-year-old boy in charge of the Strange Worlds Travel Agency, or at least he'd say he was in charge of it. The two of them have a lot of adventures exploring other worlds until they discover that there is a threat hanging over the entire multiverse, and only they can save it. I have to admit, Jonathan, I think, is one of my favourite characters I've ever read. (laughs) Thank you. I think the part that like I genuinely realised that I was going to love him as a character was when Flick first walks into it and he's just really rude and he's like, nope, go away, go away. <laughs> and like driving people. He's shockingly rude. He is so abrasive. <laughs> it just really, really made me laugh. And I think like I knew about four pages in, I was reading it going, this idea is really good. It's really good fun. And then you get those two together and I was like, it's just brilliant. They work so well together. I like to think so because they are quite different and yet more similar than they'd like to admit, I think. Yeah. They both have a lot of responsibility for their age. Um, Flick looks after the house and her little brother more than perhaps a 12-year-old ought to be doing. Jonathan's trying to run a 140-year-old business by himself and he you know, can't even prepare meals for himself. So he's not doing very well in that respect. But at the same time, Flick is quite optimistic. 
Jonathan is incredibly pessimistic and sarcastic and dry, but I think they gel together quite well in that respect. And even though Jonathan is technically an adult, he is not an adult mentally whatsoever. He can barely look after himself. And let alone a very old, very magical secret society business. (laughs) Yeah, he's a lot less capable than he thinks he is. But God forbid you should class him as one of the kids. Um, how did the idea for the Strange Wars Travel Agency like come to you? It's an interesting one because I think it must have been like percolating in the back of my head for quite a while because I've always liked to read like magical stories where there is a strong element of the real world in them or where kids journey to other worlds. So I'd always liked his dark materials. I really like Pages and Co. Like Artemis Fowl, which is not necessarily another world, but it's a world within a world in Haven. So I think I was always going to write this sort of thing, but I didn't really spend any time planning it. It literally just came to me out of the blue. One day I was minding my own business and Jonathan, the travel agency and the suitcases dropped into my head, like from outer space. And I had to rush to my computer and I wrote the first 10,000 words that day. Oh, wow. That's that's really impressive. It's never happened since. It's like, where was that? Where's that motivation when I'm on a deadline? <laughs> I think that like it does show the sign of something that you genuinely love and believe in, though, when you can sit and it just comes out instantly. Yeah, and that first bit has pretty much not changed. The first bit that I wrote was the very first bit in The Strange World's Travel Agency, the first book where he's on his own and someone pops in and then the suitcase throws itself open in the middle of the shop. So that's pretty much not changed at all since the first draft, which is nice to know that I was doing something right. Yeah, and it's a really powerful opening as well, I think, because you get so much of the idea of the world within that first part that you want to know where are they coming from, what are these? So it's a really, really nice opening for a book. When you first started writing it and started planning it, did you know that you were going to write a trilogy? I knew it was too big to fit into one book. I couldn't have said for certain that it was going to be a trilogy when I first, first started it. But fortunately, my publisher, when they got interested in it, asked me to map out the whole story as I envisaged it then. Pretty much, I guess, to see that I actually knew that there would be more story. (laughs) And luckily, having to actually sit down and write down what I thought was going to happen throughout the entire big story made me sort of realise actually, yes, it can be chopped into X amount of books, which makes it a lot easier for convincing people that you know what you're doing. So So that worked out okay. I would genuinely love if you ever want to like write more of this world, more than a trilogy. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I was in charge of that. (laughs) There you go, note for the publishers. (laughs) So... Obviously, it's a world within loads of different worlds. Every single suitcase has somewhere else in it. And you do travel through quite a few of them in both the first book and the second one. Where did you come up with all of the ideas for all of the different places? Because they're all so unique. Well, thank you, first of all. I had to basically force myself to rein it in because I could have written a book about each world eventually. So to make them all seem as different as possible, I gave each world a job to do. So one world was deliberately written to be scary. One was deliberately written to be funny and then awe-inspiring and then concerning. 
So each one would be associated with a certain feeling. So Flick and by extension, the reader would feel a certain way about each world. So that way, even if the name of the place was forgotten or never mentioned particularly, you could say, oh, it was that world. That one was the scary one and remember it. I think that works quite well because I read the first book back in January and I can still remember quite a few of the different places and where they went so it works really well oh well that's really good to know (laughs) I shall keep doing it then (laughs) book two is set in a world mostly of pirates and water did you always want to write kind of a pirate themed book originally it was going to be a transport focused book when I very first had the idea we're talking 2019 here So it was always going to be sort of transport-based, and I had an idea to use a train and some other things. But when I started actually doing the first draft, the pirate's world got very big and very detailed in my brain very fast, and I realised that it would not be doing the world of the break any justice at all if I kept flitting between too many places. So I decided to focus the main action in that world, give the pirates more agency, more of a backstory, make their world really, really in-depth and basically just ditch the rest of it because it wasn't bringing anything that couldn't be transferred to the pirate's world. What kind of research did you do for the pirates and the ships and the world that they inhabit? Not as much as I wanted. I had I had an appointment to talk to people at like the Greenwich Maritime Museum and stuff, but like COVID got in the way of that. So it's all been Dr. Google has been my professor for teaching me about boats and ships and things. But also I haven't actually done that much research, A, because it's an imaginary world and it's not set in a specific time period. But B, because Flick, Jonathan and Avery, who is the new character in book two, they don't know anything about ships. So why would they talk about them? Yeah, because they kind of just get thrown into it and have to learn on the go (laughs) they do like at the start of the book flick refers to the front of the boat as the pointy end but by the end of it she refers to it by its proper name because she's spent enough time there to have learnt it but that's a reflection on me because when i was first writing it i didn't know what it's called so i just put the pointy end and thought oh i'll correct that later and then realize that actually it is just the pointy end at this point yeah and i do like that as an idea because i'm a sailor myself so it did make me laugh when I read that (laughs) because to me I kind of forget to most people you don't know what the official terms are because you have it in the book as well there's a point where they correct left and right yes Jonathan doesn't know which port and starboard is so he says left (laughs) when he's in the boat which obviously isn't very helpful because one (laughs) of them's facing one way and the other one's facing the other um So he has to be told. And I think that's it's a point that I really liked keeping in because they are just kids. They are just learning. They don't go in fully armed with full nautical terms. None of them are sailors. And I think it's more realistic that way because yeah. if I fell into a world of pirate ships, I would have absolutely no idea what I was talking about. Apparently, Muppet Treasure Island isn't good research. <laughs> haven't seen that myself but I'll have to check it out and see. (laughs) (laughs) So another part of the Strange Worlds Travel Agency and it links back to the book that you've just finished as well is the fact that 
you have a book where you have various different characters who are LGBT. So it's obviously like a really important thing to have in books. Can I ask why you wanted to put that in? It wasn't particularly a conscious decision. When Jonathan waltzed into my brain, I knew he was transgender and I knew he was gay. But even before he waltzed in my brain, put his feet upon the desk and refused to move. Because why wouldn't he be, is, is the answer to that. Because, you know, despite what some people may think, you know, trans kids do go to magic school. They do have adventures and they can do that without their coming out or their gender identity being a massive plot point. It just is part of who they are. That is something I really, really loved about The Strange Worlds was that it just was. He didn't have to come out. There was no great reveal. It was just part of the story and part of who he was. So I genuinely loved that about it because a lot of books do put the focus on having to come out as a character. Well, I did think about it, but ultimately in book one, Jonathan and Flick don't spend that much actual time together when you sit down and think about it. And he is quite reserved and he is quite sort of keeping himself to himself. I don't think he realistically he would have had that conversation with Flick in the amount of time that they'd spent together. However, by the time book two rolls around, I think that realistically that is a conversation they will have had. And we know that Flick is aware of it. There's an instance in the second book where everyone ends up in the water. Obviously, it's a pirate world. They're all going to get wet at some point. They all end up in the water. They're all fished out. And Flick notices that she can see Jonathan's binder under his shirt because it's clinging to him because it's wet through. And it's just things like that I wanted to include because it's just so normal. Yeah. There is a part in book two at the beginning where they meet in a supermarket. Oh, yes. And I have to admit, I did laugh my way through the entire conversation and entire circumstances because it was very, very accurate. (laughs) The, the awkward like it may or may not have been based on a real experience <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I genuinely love that you've managed to put so much and so many characters and so many characters who are diverse into a middle grade book because I think it's a really big thing to have nowadays like when I was growing up again in the 90s and early noughties looking back at all of my books I don't think I ever saw a trans character or a gay character in any of the books I read as a kid? No, I mean, I think you and I are probably of a similar age. Obviously, I grew up under Section 28. It was illegal to have any sort of LGBTQ characters anywhere. There was no support in libraries, no support in schools. It was, you know, they were going to eradicate us. And obviously, that really worked out well for them because, you know, you can't move for straight people around here. Yeah. But yes, I mean, I was talking to the lovely LGBTQ network for librarians a few weeks ago and saying that the repercussions of that are only just beginning to shift because even now, I think it was 2003, we had Two Boys Kissing come out. And even now, it almost seems exclusively that it's YA that you find LGBTQ characters cropping up. Luckily, I think that is starting to shift now. And I think it's nice to see, incidentally... LGBTQ characters cropping up in children's literature. Not that we don't need romances and coming out stories, because I think we always will, and particularly from authors of colour, for sure. But it's nice to see that that's not the only kind of books that we crop up in anymore. Yeah, we can have adventures and have magic just because we exist. Exactly. It's really lovely to see. And 
it's really lovely to see them fill up shelves, especially with middle grade. Because yes, YA has had it for a lot longer, but middle grade, I think finally the shift is starting and it's just lovely to see the shelves now looking so much more diverse. It is, it's wonderful. I think for too long it's been everyone's white, everyone's cis, everyone's straight, everyone's able-bodied, everyone's middle class. And it's so nice to see that that's beginning to cave away. And I think we do need to keep hacking away at it as an industry. It's not something we can get complacent with, particularly given the state of Britain in general at the moment. Yeah. But it is nice to see that that slide has at least started. Yeah. So finally, obviously, you've written book one, which is published, and book two. So what are you working on at the moment? Are you working on book three or are you working on anything else? I'm working on A Strange Worlds 3, which is very strange because it's going to be saying goodbye to characters who have been around my head for quite a few years now. So it's quite emotional. Try not to think about it too much, but uh, I'm sure I shall cry when I get to the end of it. I'm also starting to pick away at a contemporary middle grade project. That's not under contract or anything yet. It's not finished. It's an idea that I've had that I'd like to work on. So I'm going to keep picking away at that. And I've got an idea for some more middle grade fantasy as well. So it's literally a case of I'll see where the writing takes me at this point. Well, anything you write, especially book three, I am very, very excited for. (laughs) Thank you so much. So that's all the questions I had for you. So thank you so much for chatting to me today. Thank you so much for having me. All of the books mentioned during the podcast are available to buy from the Most Books website. This podcast has been presented and produced by members of the team at Mostly Books in Abingdon. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate, review and subscribe because apparently it helps people find us.